0: 2024 huh? I don't know how you are coming into the year. I um, I got to the end of the la- end of last year and like I had not a single thing left in the tank. Like I'd booked a month's holiday um, and um, uh, I probably hadn't been well since August the year before when I had COVID and this Thing had hung around, and my immune system was low. And then sometime I've just had some blood tests done a little while ago. And sometime, probably last year, I had glandular fever as well. Um, just thought I was unwell, but you know. And, and I just got to the end of the year, and there was nothing in the tank. And I thought I'm going to take a month off. Um, I go back to work tomorrow. So you know, like um, this is uh, uh, this is just a warm up. But um, I got to the uh, got to the Christmas, and on Christmas Day, my auntie died. Um, and so then I had to do her funeral, and like it's just not been a break in one sense, and yet I really feel like God's up to something, and one of the reasons I feel like that is, um, it's 10 years ago, in fact 10 years ago this weekend that Vicky and I moved back from Wyala, and um, I know that re- I know that for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that when I left Wayala I sense God said, I'm doing a new thing, and so um, it's time to start fresh, so I actually uh, killed off my old Facebook account. And started a new one and so in the last couple of weeks I'm getting all these you've been friends for 10 years with this person you've been friends for 10 years with this person and um, it's been interesting to look back at just what's happened over those over those 10 years we um, I some of you know parts of my story but I grew up in the western suburbs of Adelaide my um, my grandma grew up on Fletcher Road at Birkenhead Um, my ancestors on my grandma's side were um maritime people sailors my great 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 uncle was captain of the failey um, and so port adelaide's been part of my my history and my journey and i grew up at cheltenham baptist church and um uh, when i grew up there as a kid it was a very conservative and you know, like there were, there were things that we used to do things at youth group just to try and upset the balance. And, you know, there used to be the the big Bible up the front. Uh, There's the a baptistry out the front with a big golden lectern thing and a Bible that sat on it. And we and it always used to be open to Psalm 23. It was always open to Psalm 23. And uh, youth group on Friday night, we'd go in and we'd flip the pages to somewhere else, just to some other thing. And we'd come back Sunday morning. And sure enough, someone would come back and flip it back to say, I don't know who did it. Might have been Jesus, but someone came and turned the Bible back to Psalm 23. Anyway, we grew up there, and, and the church when we were there in the in the 80s, um, uh, and before Vicky and I got married, and after, went through a charismatic renewal. Went through this whole thing, and we we had um, we went from one quite staid, cautious congregation to four congregations meeting on a Sunday. A, uh, a more um, traditional service, a contemporary service, a Filipino congregation that's still part of the Baptist Church is now that congregation, um, and, um, um, and a Vietnamese congregation. And did all sorts of missions, but on, a, on any Sunday, 350, 400 people through that building. And God was doing all sorts of stuff and there was all sorts of promises that we sensed God made and all sorts of prophetic words that were given over the church. And then within a few years, the whole thing just blew up. And that church, the building's still there, the Aboriginal Berean church are in the building now, but that church congregation doesn't exist anymore. And um, one of the things that God did when uh, when God called us very clearly to leave Wayala and come back to Adelaide he said he started reminding me of all those prophecies and all those promises that he'd made back when I was a teenager and I got this clear sense from God saying all of those prayers and all of those prophecies and all of those promises for the western suburbs of Adelaide wasn't just for that church but for the western suburbs of Adelaide are still just lying there under the surface and what I'm waiting for it's very clear. What I'm waiting for is someone just to go back and dig them up. Like, whoa, okay. What does that mean? So Vicky and I had this growing sense through, like, direct things, but also um, through circumstances, things that happened. Ten years ago, this weekend, we moved back to Adelaide to start digging up those things for the Western suburbs. And so, when Ben asked me to preach. I just had this real sense of God saying, well, talk about that. So that's what I want to do. I want to talk about that. And I want to do it uh, from a passage that God had made really clear to us um, back then. And as soon as Ben said, do you want to preach? This was the passage that dropped into my head. So this is a story that I want to tell you today. And it's from Genesis chapter 26. It's the story of Isaac. And Isaac's one of those guys that sort of gets left out a little bit. (laughs) We talk about Abraham. We talk about Isaac. You know, as a kid, when Abraham was well, a kid, probably as a young man, where Abraham took him up to the to the hill. You know, God had told him to kill his son. You know that stuff. He, Isaac, the one who God's promise was going to come through. And then God said to God said to his dad, well, "I know I promised everything was going to happen through this kid, but now I want you to kill him." How do you go with God's promises? here's what here's the promise but i want you to kill all of that off because i'm going to do it a different way no 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 god i've got it worked out i know how this is going to work and then we get this um story of isaac that happened uh, a bit later so when isaac planted his crops that year he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted for the lord blessed him he became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow he acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. Finally, Abimelech. Now, not a, Abimelech is like the Philistine name for a king. There's Abimelech everywhere through Scripture and it's not the same guy. It's just like saying the king. Does that make sense? because there was an Abimelech who dealt with Isaac's father, who's not the same Abimelech, because this is 400 years later. Either that or he's a very old man. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away. Sorry, I should change the slide. We can do two things. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley, where he set up the tents and settled down. He reopened or redug the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. So let's just talk about this for a second. 400 years. You know, we read this, like, oh, there was Abraham, then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. But this is 400 years after Abraham. It's a long time. People did live longer than different Abimelech. But still, four hundred years. Has God given you a promise? Feel like you're waiting for God to do the thing that He said He would do. How long are you prepared to wait? It's four hundred years, okay. Ten minutes—that's probably where I sit. Right. Let's just do it in ten minutes. Let's not um. Let's not get too far. A year. 10 years. A generation? 400 years. Isaac's in this interesting place where he'd become wealthy. There'd been a famine um, and there'd been some stuff going on, but he had become wealthy. And the rulers of the day had mistaken God's blessing for power. Now, There's a warning in that for us too. Because it's not just um, people outside of the faith community that sometimes mistake God's blessing for power. Sometimes we do too. Oh, everything is going well with us. We must be doing what God wants us to do. The bank accounts are full ministries are full, the rosters are full. That's the biggest sign in any church that God's blessing you. The rosters are all, you never ever hear the pastor begging for volunteers. There's a sign-up sheet at the back, right, Benito? Um, But sometimes we mistake the grace of God and the blessing of God for something that somehow we're entitled to and we deserve and we become powerful in that. It's a warning in that. We're going to run through this really quickly. So I'm not going to dwell on that. You can just think about that. And so Abimelech and the Philistines start filling in the wells. You've got too much water. You've got too much stuff. We need to start making things difficult for you. So they're going to fill in the wells. And eventually they ask Isaac to leave. You're too powerful for us. We let you live on our land, but you're bigger than us now. So would you please Go. So, Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek. They loved naming wells. I'm not sure why. Maybe we should go back to doing that. They, Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. The Lord has created enough space for us to prosper. From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father, Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. It's interesting... When you're pursuing the things of God, how quickly opposition arises. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever encountered opposition? You feel like God's given you something, or you feel like God's told you to do something, and suddenly there's opposition. Suddenly it feels like hard work. They start doing this. Isaac seems to move out. When, when the king asks him to leave, he seems to go Willingly, I don't know if that's the right word, but it doesn't seem to put up a fuss. It's like, okay, if you want us to go, we'll go. Is that how we do it? Oh, no, someone's standing in the way of what God's doing. We need to fight them. We need to, we need to make a stand for the gospel. Whatever that thing is. We need to, you know, sometimes there is that stuff you have to press in. But other times, Isaac seems to just go, all right, we'll just go. Digs a well. All right, we'll start here. And the herders come and they say, no, no, no that's our well. That's on our land. That's our water. We want the water. We like, we want the water. And they start having this fight. And Isaac goes, okay, well, we'll keep going then. The first well is like, um argument or um, quarrel, like is the sort of word, like petty stuff. Right? It's not deep. It's just petty. So they go and they dig another well, and again, the same thing happens. This is our well, this is our water, this is on our land, you can't stay here. But this time it seems to be more intense, because we've moved from from argument to hostility. We've moved from quarrel to to like contention, is the the old word for it. There's this contending over this space now. You had that? You're following God, you're trying to do what God does, and... Something starts bubbling away and, you know, we'll just keep going and suddenly it gets worse. But God's given me a promise. God's given our family a promise. And it just seems like it gets harder and harder. And finally, Isaac comes to a place where they dig another well. And there's no argument or contention anymore. They've found their space that God's given them the space that they'll prosper in. Is that how God works for you? I, I, sometimes we we think that we're working it all out ourselves, right? Sometimes we wanna we wanna have a plan. The one year plan, the five year plan, the ten year plan, the whatever. We have the, we have the strategic framework that we're following and we're doing it. And if we do this and we do this and we do this, then then God will obviously do this for us. But maybe the arguments, maybe the quarrels, maybe the contention, maybe the uh, the restlessness that we feel, the, the, the unable to settle down stuff we feel is, is actually God taking us to the place we need to be. Maybe we settle too early. Maybe we settle in the first place and stick our flag in the ground and say, well, this is going to be the thing for us. This is our spot and we're going to fight for it. And it's after all of that that then... God appears to Isaac again. He'd appeared to him already um, a number of years before, but he appeared to him again. He says, don't fear, I'm with you. I have made a promise and I will keep my promise. I've made the promise to you and to your family and to all the generations and I will keep this promise. You just have to not be afraid. Heard that before? So then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants started to dig another well. One day, Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor, Azurath. Good names, huh? And also Ficol. That sounds like some sort of drug. Oh, I've got a bit of a cough. I'm just going to go and duck some Phicol. His army commander, why have you come here, Isaac asked. You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. They replied, well, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. That's interesting, isn't it? No matter where you go, we thought if we got rid of you, that would fix our problem. We can keep seeing that God is continuing to be with you. Wherever you go, whatever happens, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how many wells you have to dig, no matter how much you have to chase down where God might be taking you, it's become obvious to us that God is with you. So we, went to enter into a, we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you won't harm us. You're still too powerful. Even though you now have moved from our city, from where we were, out into the valley, moved further away, we're still afraid of you. You still seem to be blessed. Swear that you won't harm us, just as we've never troubled you. I mean, apart from kicking you off the land and, you know, sending you out into the desert. We've always treated you well. And we sent you away from us in peace. So I guess they didn't force them off. They just told them to go. But And now look how the Lord has blessed you. Sorry. I'm getting too many slides going. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty, and they ate and drank together. Early the next morning, they each took a solemn oath not to interfere with each other. Okay, we're going to... Live at peace together. Then Isaac sent them home again and they left him in peace. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed. Isn't that interesting? Make your treaty, make your peace. Suddenly we find water. That well is really interesting, actually, that well at Besheba. You can still go and see it today. There's, you know, there's legend about whether it's the, it is the one or not. There's two big wells at Besheba. There's one called Abraham's well and one called Isaac's well. Abraham's well is 12 feet across and about 50 feet deep. That's a bit of water, right? Isaac's well is not quite as big as that. It's about six feet across and some say 200 feet deep depending on who you read this is not little bits of water they found this is enough water to sustain all the servants and all the people and all the cattle and all the livestock and this is this is not a trickle right this is not a little stream and it's interesting what Isaac does after he has that encounter with God he does three things First of all, he builds an altar. Builds an altar. Now, we don't build altars today, do we? You know, it's not normal. Um, that's where, like, sacrifices happened and all sorts of stuff went on. But let's think about the symbolism of an altar. What is an altar? What's it, what's it for? It's for encounter with God. So Isaac builds a place. Where you can pray, where you can worship. And altars are a place of consecration where we get things right with God. If you want to see God move, you have to get things right with God. You have to dig in in prayer, you have to dig in in worship. And you have to dig in in getting things right with God in place of consecration. Power, if you want real power, power comes through consecration. So he built an altar. He pitched his tent. He said, we're not going anywhere, we're staying here. The altar's here, the presence of God is here, we're staying here. The Benedictines, the old Benedictine monks, have this vow of stability, that if God calls us to a place, we're staying in the place. We're committing ourselves to the place. The trouble with committing yourself to a place is, things happen in those places that are hard, and you get a choice. Am I committed to where God's called me to be, or am I going to go? And if I'm committed to where God's called me to be, that means I actually have to work through some stuff. Yeah? It's really interesting. In in um, Corinthians, Paul, talking about the body of Christ, he says, and God has placed each member exactly where he wants them to be. And then goes on to say, you know, can an eye say to a foot, we don't need you, and you know all that stuff, right? You know what I mean, you know the stuff, right? If God's placed you exactly where he wants you to be and he's called you to pitch a tent and to stay there, then you actually have to maybe work through some of your own stuff, not just help the other people work through their stuff where they're obviously wrong. You know? You can do it your way, we'll do it God's way, everything's fine. So he pitches his tent I'm going to consecrate myself here, I'm going to dig into prayer and worship here, and I'm going to dwell here. And then he dug a well. And then he started digging. Well, his servants started digging, but you know, you get the idea. And they found water. They found this Water in the desert. This is such a big motif in scripture. If you go through all of the Old Testament, he said over and over again water in the desert, water in the desert, water in the desert, water in the desert. I was talking to someone the other day, um, John Walker. Some of you know John Walker? I was chatting with John about um, the Lefevre Peninsula. He said, Oh, he said, remember when he was pastor here at Lefevre Baptist, there was someone in the church that um, had a well that dug a bore. And they said, it's really easy to dig down in this peninsula and hit water. The water table is very, very easy to get to. He said, it's just not drinkable. He said, he used to go and do pastoral visits to this house. He said, they had a lovely garden, but it smelt like rotting fish and seaweed. Which I guess is good fertilizer, right? He dug a well. All right, so what does it mean? First of all, God's promises are never withdrawn. If God makes a promise, he intends to keep it. Do you believe that? I think the story in the scripture that really makes me think about that is, you know the story of um, uh, Joshua, when they're, go- when they're going in and conquering the land, and there's, a, uh, uh, there's all these five kings that get together to try and, trying to defeat them, and Joshua and his armies go after them, and God says to them, today's the day you're going to have victory over them. Do you know that story? And so they start this fight, and it's becoming very, very obvious. They only—they were very gentlemanly in those days. They only fought during the day, then they'd go back to their camp at night, and then they'd come back out and fight the next day, and you know, not like now. But it's really interesting that joshua had worked out in his head god had said we're going to win this victory by the end of the day so one of two things has to happen here either we have to win it really quickly or the day just has to get longer you know that story and joshua then says speaks to the sun and says stop This this day is not over till this victory is won. And it says the sun stayed in the sky probably another 10 hours. And they started to win the victory. And then God started joining in on the battle as well and started throwing hailstones down. And all sorts of stuff happened. And they won the victory by the end of the day. Sometimes when God's about to do something, sometimes when God calls us into uh, a promise, and when God promises something, you will win this battle by the end of the day, well, the only option is the day has to get longer if the battle's taking longer. Do you have that sort of faith? Think about that for a second. Secondly, Isaac was a carrier of a promise. Carriers of promise sometimes don't appear to be blessed. I bet when Isaac was being chased out of all these different places and just thought, oh, we'll leave here, we'll go somewhere else. Oh, we'll when is this thing ever going to happen? When is this ever going to happen? Sometimes the people who are blessed aren't carriers of the promise and sometimes the people who carry the promise don't look like they're blessed. You can see that all throughout Scripture. What it looks like on the surface is not exactly what God might be doing all the time. And if you're a carrier of the promise, then you can expect argument and you can expect quarrels and you can expect contention eventually the open space will come but sometimes it doesn't look like it and sometimes it certainly doesn't feel like it we move through argument hostility and into clear space and eventually we find water like i said i was talking to john walker the other day cuz as i was preparing preparing this sermon i had this real sense of God saying, "There are wells in this place that need to be redug." So I went and said, "Oh, John, just tell me about the history." John's a historian, right? So tell me about the history of Baptist churches, especially around this area. And I said, "I want to know about one in particular that I've read about, and I've Googled, and I can find little bits of information, but I can't." Um, I can't find a whole lot of stuff. So John, while he was on the phone, he went over to his library and he pulled out the big Baptist history book and he basically read pages of it to me, which is an enthralling conversation, but um, helpful. Peterhead Baptist Church. Which turns out is like just around the building. Not there anymore, but it was just around the corner from our house. Peterhead Baptist Church was planted 110 years ago this year, 1914 as a mission from Semaphore Baptist Church because Semaphore Baptist Church decided that they were all too wealthy and middle class and they needed to use the resources God had given them to reach some of the poor working people in Birkenhead and Peterhead. So they planted this mission church and, and I can't remember the exact line, but it was like, it was very discouraging, the initial things. They planted it in 1914. Other stuff was going on around that time as well, I guess. By 1918, they had to double the building size. They started with a Sunday school. And by 1918, they had 150 kids in the Sunday school. And they started meeting for gospel worship services on Sunday evenings. Not Sunday mornings. Sound familiar? Sunday evenings. Semperford Baptist planted three churches. Peterhead Baptist, Largs North Baptist, and Peterhead Baptist and Largs North Baptist merged to form Lafever Baptist, which built this building, and Semaphore Park Baptist. And I believe that they did that for a reason. God had a heart for this place. They started to dig some wells, and maybe the wells have been stopped up. Maybe it's time to redig them. Maybe it's time to see where that water might be. What if there is a 12 foot wide and 50 foot deep well just waiting for us to find? I believe, Vicky and I believe, that's why God's called us. You know, we live on Fletcher Road. Turns out we live 400 metres from the house that my grandma grew up in. It's like God's called us back to this place. Beersheba, where Isaac dug the well, was the place he was born, Probably. It's where where Abraham was before he moved off into the desert and then came back again. God brings us into these places, puts us exactly where he wants for something special to happen. And there is this picture throughout Scripture of finding water in the desert. Finding water, rivers in the desert. There's this promise of God. There's this great promise in Isaiah 55. God says, if anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Let them come and buy without cost food. How do you buy food without money? On oh, God's credit card or something, I guess. But there's this idea that, that that when we start following God's promise, when we start digging in the desert, we're going to find the water that provides life for us. Maybe, church, it's time to start redigging some of those wells. There are promises for God's kingdom that lie just under the surface here that I think God is asking us to dig up. To do it, we don't start with digging, we start with prayer, we start with building an altar and we pitch our tent, we say, we're in it, we're staying, we're going to be here, we're going to make this happen, we're going to follow through with whatever God does, and then we start digging, and God will provide the water that we need. But there's a really interesting twist to all of this. Because when I was at Bible College, they taught us, you can never preach Old Testament unless you preach it through the cross and talk about New Testament, right? Because you have to do that. So there's this thing Jesus did. Jules, if you want to come and... this thing that Jesus did at a feast, at a festival. In John's Gospel, it says that on the last day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he said to the whole crowd, if anyone is thirsty, let them come and drink. But Jesus takes that whole, I'm going to provide you some water thing to a whole different level. Because he says, he doesn't say, come and drink, I've dug a well, you can come and have some water and everything will be okay. He says, if you come to me and if you put your trust in me, then those living springs of water will bubble up in you. And you will be the ones that water the ground. The living springs don't flow out of a hole in the ground anymore, they flow out of God's people. The promises that are here to dig up are not just in the dirt somewhere. I believe that, you know, not physically, spiritually in the dirt, but they're in when we dig into the dirt of our own stuff. And we allow the springs to start bubbling up. We don't have to go chasing God by digging holes everywhere anymore. We build an altar, we pray, we worship, we consecrate ourselves. Pitch a tent. We move into the neighbourhood, John says. It's the same word, Jesus. The picture the incarnation. God, Jesus came and he pitched a tent. He moved into the neighbourhood. He dwelt among us. The word became flesh. And we're called to do the same thing. And we're called to allow this living water to bubble up in us. And it's not hard. See, we think... This is the, one of the greatest lies of the enemy. We think that we have to do all this stuff and go chasing after God to find wherever God is and we're struggling around in the dark trying to work out what God's up to and the scriptures say God's just here. Paul says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, what does it take to raise Jesus from the dead? If Jesus carried the weight of all the sin, of all the anger towards God, of all the bitterness, of all the everything that's ever gone wrong in the world, if Jesus carried that and that killed him, what does it take to raise him from the dead? What level of power does that take? That's huge, right? That's the ultimate demonstration of God's power. And Paul says that that same power lives in you. All you have to do is believe it. All you have to do is see it. All you have to do is understand that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he means it. He dwells in you. And these streams of living water begin to flow. And it may not look like... Isaac, and carrying that promise may not look easy all the time, and there may be argument, and there may be contention, and there may be trouble, and you may have to dig wells in different places. But let me tell you, when that stream of water begins to flow, it's not just for you, it's to water the ground around you. You want to see this community come to the kingdom of God? If you want to see people come to faith, if you want to see God's kingdom come in this place build an altar, learn to pray, learn to worship, consecrate yourself, get yourself right with God and allow the water to begin to flow. Why? Because God wants to do it. It's not hard work, it's just we have to deal with ourselves. Maybe that is the hardest work. Don't need to reach out and find God doing it out there somewhere, you just have to Dig into God here. Let the water begin to flow. What's the promise? What's the promise that you're holding on to? Oh, I'm just waiting for God to do that. Maybe just do it. There's this great line in Romans that says, the whole earth is groaning. Groaning in sin and groaning in pain and groaning under this weight And the earth is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. What does that mean? Does that mean one day God's going to go, ta-da? Or maybe it means the whole planet is just waiting for us to actually live into the identity that we already have. And to allow the water to start to flow. And allow the life to start to flow out of us into others. And that may be... Crazy things. It may mean the most radical thing you could ever do this week is to go and have a cuppa with your next door neighbor. What does it mean to bring the life, bring the living water, to not have to go searching in the desert for all these things now? The promises are here, the living water is here, it's in us now. It's what the Spirit of God does. So here's the challenge today. Are we going to build an altar? Are we going to pray? Are we actually going to make time and carve out space to press into what God is doing? There's two opportunities in this church every week. Thursday morning, 6 to 8. Sorry, Tuesday morning, 6 to 8. Thursdays, 4 to 6. If you can't carve out any other time, maybe come to one of them. Get yourself right with God. Whatever whatever that stuff is that you're dealing with, bring it to Him. If you want to be free of stuff, let me tell you, God wants more than you want to be free of it. God wants you to be free of it. And then allow the river of the Spirit to begin to flow, the well to rise up. Let's just spend a minute in silence. And if there's stuff you know you need to deal with, maybe there's sin, maybe there's unbelief, maybe there's just these... You know, one of the hardest things to deal with is disappointment. I tried this once, God, and it didn't work. I tried it twice, and I tried it ten times, God, and it didn't work. And now I just can't even bring myself to face you with that again. Maybe try and come to God like it's the first time. And ask God to deal with the disappointment. with the hurt and the pain, the anger and the bitterness, whatever it is. And as you do, invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again, to let the water level start to rise again, to let the hope start to rise again. To let the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that lives in you, let it start to rise up again. I really believe that there are people here today that God has given you a promise. It's about ministry. It's about, about a call. It's maybe something that you that you used to do and you stopped doing or maybe it's something that God called you into and you haven't seen how it's going to get there and that may be a call that he gave you last week or it may be something he gave you years ago and you haven't seen come to fruition yet. I really believe the Lord's saying it's time. It's going to start activating those calls. And even now, Holy Spirit, would you begin to fill those people again? Would you begin to awaken those calls again? And now, others, you're just exhausted. You're just at the end of your rope and you just need a fresh infilling of God. Maybe you're nomads. Maybe you've been moving around for a long time and God's saying it's time now to stop and just settle down and find water where you are. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you again. God, all the things all the things that have got in the way, all the things that have blocked up the wells. The hurt and the pain and the brokenness and the sin. Lord, we start to undig them. We start to dig out all that stuff and we give it to you. Let the water flow, Lord. Let the wells begin to flow again. More, Lord. More of your power, more of your anointing. Let it come. Let it come. Bring your refreshing, God. Not for our sake, but for the sake of this community. For the sake of the people around us, Lord, would you flow in us and through us and out of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Lord, bring your healing. Bring your refreshing. Bring your renewing. I really want to be clear about this because I've i said it, but I want to say it again in a way that is really, really clear. This is not about works. This is not about what you have to do. This is about responding to an invitation from God. Because he wants to pour out his spirit in you he wants to presence himself amongst you in you he longs to do it you don't have to go doing anything you just have to be open you just have to say okay God if that's what you want then I'm in deal with all the other stuff let the water start to come and let that wash out all the other stuff does that make sense this is, not about, this is not about if I do this and I do this and I do this, then God might do this. This is about God saying, I am inviting you to receive today this river of life that you don't have to go digging for anymore, that you don't have to go chasing all over the desert for anymore. It's here. It's within you. And I'm ready to pour it out. You just have to say, okay, let it happen. Your river come, Lord. Thank you that we're your children. Thank you, Father, that you only have good gifts for us. You're not the sort of father that if we ask for bread, you give us a stone. If we ask for fish, you give us a snake. You're not trying to trick us. You're not trying to fool us. You're not trying to to offer us something that you can't give. The invitation is to receive you, God. All of you, you are the answer to everything. You are the gift. And Lord, we receive you. We receive you today. In faith, in trust, in hope, we receive you. Holy Spirit, come. More Lord. More Lord. Keep pressing in, keep surrendering. It's an act of faith. Thank you, Lord, that you give us living water. It's not it's not like a La Peninsula bore that we dig down and we get salty, smelly, fishy, seaweedy, undrinkable water. It's living water. It's different. It's refreshing. It brings healing and growth we just receive it from you today God we thank you for your grace we thank you for your free gift we thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives within us we accept your invitation God In Jesus' name. Amen.